special edition of the Liberty Lifestyle Podcast uh, in association with the Salt Lake Freedom Hive, another project, a local activist group here in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I record the Liberty Lifestyle episode podcasts. Uh, One day we'll hope to take this thing on the road and get some more live interviews. Um, If you're interested in helping me get to that point, you can donate on my Patreon account. A little as $1 a month over time will help me Uh, be able to produce more content like Liberty Lifestyle and things that we do for the Salt Lake Freedom Hive in the future, Uh, such as this video here. And in this special presentation, um, I was able to record a talk from Michael Kundick of the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild here in Salt Lake City, um, a permaculture food forest that's located behind the Krishna Temple there on 33rd South and 9th East uh, near there. And uh, as part of the Decentralize Your Life tour, they came through and those guys from the Conscious Resistance Network, um, the people that showed up were Derek Bros, uh, Johnny and Jeffer, and uh, Miriam. And that day, as part of their tour, they do an action day during the day, and then they did their evening event. Both events were excellent here in Salt Lake City, and the action day was a permaculture activity, and we did a lot of... Um, pulling back the weeds that were overgrowing in in the area that day and we also did a little workshop on how to create compost and Michael gave us an excellent talk here that I've been editing putting together that I'm going to present here today to you guys and you can find this on DTube once I get it uploaded to that as well as YouTube and um, find the post on my Steemit page or Salt Lake Freedom Hive or Liberty Lifestyle and Of course, uh, follow the Liberty Lifestyle Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and now you can listen to it on uh, Google+, TuneIn, Android, Google Play, iTunes, uh, anything that accepts RSS feeds, and, you know, go ahead and subscribe on the website. Eventually we'll have some premium content for members. Um, But to get into more of today's talk with Michael, he really lays out a... A grand idea, something that I've been thinking about since I've heard the talk back in July and while editing it, there's some messages in this presentation that are very powerful and that I feel like people should listen to this more than once, you know, listen to it once and then come back later and listen to it again because the way that he's presenting um, the ideas that we can think about things 200 years into the future and start to lay foundations that last um, and that are sustainable beyond just our lifetimes and, and even having that mindset to me um, is part of 
having the liberty lifestyle is building more freedom for future generations, not just for yourself and your selfish needs and desires, but creating a, a freedom community, start creating a, a voluntary society or a free society um, extends out beyond just your lifetime and, and thinking about things in that context. And definitely permaculture, which is what the talk surrounds and what uh, the activities were that we were working on that day, is definitely one of those concepts, as you heard in um, episode 5 of Liberty Lifestyle with Eric McCool on Permagora, um, bringing these concepts together of building um, sustainable community trade that uh, can last into the future so that the future generations can participate in new economic systems known as the Agora, um, and agorism being a term coined by the libertarian activist Samuel Edward Konkin III um, back in the late 70s and early 80s. He really brought the concept out in the Agorist Primer, um, a primer for agorism, and the new Libertarian Manifesto, um, two books that I've shared recently on my Facebook and I'll probably include in the show notes here. But these concepts of um, free association, voluntary exchange, um, economic systems mixed with uh, the permaculture community and creating local communities of health and wellness based on our on the food and, and the resources that we have available and eventually you know moving into a more resource-based economy all starts with getting out there and, and getting active in the community and building these permaculture plots if that's your thing or promoting agorist concepts or participating in agorism. Um, these are all things that can lead us closer to uh, building a more voluntary and free society. So with that being said, uh, we'll definitely bring these concepts up more on the Liberty Lifestyle podcast as well as the Salt Lake Freedom Hive. You can look forward to a future article of mine on Permagora. I'm just working on updating the site. It's the year anniversary of Salt Lake Freedom Hive. Um, so I'm revamping the site. If you go to it right this very minute, it might not be all situated correctly yet the way that I want it, but um, it's a step-by-step -step migration with the time that I have available. Um, anyways, guys, like, sh subscribe, share, get this out there if you feel like uh, it's valuable information. I'm still getting used to my camera equipment. I had a little issue with the audio recorder. Uh, we forgot the windsock that day. So I'm relying on backup audio for this recording, and, and there's definitely some issues with the insects that day, giving us some nice extra additional audio touches on there, um, some FX. So <laughs> anyways, um, thanks for watching, guys, and keep uh, going out there for more um, agorism, anarchy, and action, uh, promoting those concepts in your community. And check out the Salt Lake City Air Protectors if you're in the local area of Salt Lake City as well as the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild. And get involved with these communities, get active, and thanks for watching. Have a good one. I'm Michael Kundik and I'm the facilitator for Christmas Food Forest and Community Garden where we're here. Um, we've got a, uh, Randy Gordon has been on this site for the last six years, growing food with the Temple community and the little bits of uh, help he's had. And this year he's had the most help because we've got Ecstatic Dance that meets here. We've got several community groups like our Salt Lake Permaculture Guild and the SLC Air Protectors have all kind of made this home. 
and with so much energy coming to this temple um, weekly, even twice a week from these different community groups, it was like a no-brainer to glorify the land we're on and also provide what we need for the food, the medicines, for the honey from the bees, um, a beautiful opportunity to see how community energy can translate into um, land respect, land stewardship, and also meeting our needs. And so I kind of want to talk about permaculture and the mentality behind this garden. There's Permaculture is a very broad subject. And I think if there's any one discipline that has the most comprehensive tools and examples throughout the world of successful environments where people are meeting their needs and the land is actually healing and getting better at the same time. 95% um, of our agriculture throughout the world is extractive, it's linear, you're bringing in inputs and then putting out uh, waste without cycling it back into the system. And we're losing a lot of topsoil from this type of monocropping that you see, if you see the cornfields in Iowa, the giant soybeans, in fact, you know, even the organic farms that are just like giant fields of just spinach. There's a lot of, uh, there's some issues there. And I think with permaculture, it's trying to tap into the wisdom of the forest and what goes on in nature uh, naturally. How in nature, in a forest, right, you see a lot of diversity, a ton of different types of plants all interacting with each other. There's wildlife, there's birds. If there's any diseases that come out, they're generally very contained because they don't jump around. Uh, for instance, the potato famine in Ireland in like the 1500s or 1600s, that happened because all of the potatoes on that country were the same type of potato. So when uh, a disease came in that affected it, it wiped out the whole crop. So there's a lot of uh, resiliency in diversity, and that holds true for our human communities as well. The more our community groups come together, share our skills, uh, celebrate our differences, work together, um, we have an opportunity to build a world that we'll be proud to have generations to come on here. Um, as you know, people in the conscious resistance are aware of, like Tyler aware of, a lot of people, it's hard to live groundedly in a state of emergency. I like what Wendell Berry said, he's an incredible poet um, and farmer, and he said that, uh, a couple things, when he said if there's even one good example uh, for, for hope, there's grounds for hope. So if there's one good thing going on on this planet, that's enough to have faith that this is worth it. He also says for young people, it's it's a terrible thing to have. He says to have patience in a time of crisis is a terrible burden. And I think that has a lot of wisdom to it because this is the long game. We're planting trees here that we might not ever harvest from. Or if we do, it'd be 10, 10 years down the road. And what gives us that um, ability to think beyond ourselves and think beyond um, our property um, and our our own little lives. What do we do to, to, to come together as a community? So this has been a beautiful example of it. This is more of a community garden than it is a permaculture garden. There's a lot of diversity you'll notice, a lot of different flowers, a lot of different types of crops. Even when we have certain, um, you know, we've had some earwig problems, we've had some aphid problems, a few things that come up, but they don't jump rows very much because there's so much diversity within the garden. Overall, this is putting out a lot of food, even with the little problems you could expect. But if we had just a huge field of broccoli, we'd have more aphids and earwigs that we'd know what to do with. But a couple of rows, they're flourishing. So again, pointing back to the, the ethics of resiliency through diversity. Um, permaculture has a great roadmap for living in harmony with nature. It covers three basic ethics that if humanity were in tune with, um, we'd get ourselves out of this mess. It starts with earth care, and then people care, and then fair share, or that third one is kind of like just fair systems 
know, when there's abundance through the work we're doing with the land and with people, how do we share that? How do we communicate that? Uh, but it puts earth care first. And that can be kind of hard to swallow for some people because it's like there's so many problems in the world with, with trauma and famine and stress and, and there's, you know, we care very deeply about our human communities. But the foundation, setting the conditions for abundance where the land around us is healed and producing, um, that solves, in my eyes, 90% of the problems that we face in humanity. When we put the earth first, it's actually symbiotically doing ourselves a favor. Um, especially when we haven't left this planet yet, we haven't colonized Mars, we don't know how to travel across the universe. We've got to make sure our, 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 our zone Earth, our Earth zone, is being treated with the proper respect um, for, long, for longevity. I, I think if our, our destiny is the stars, I don't think we'll get there until we've learned how to clean up our room. You know, <laughs> like, that's kind of, the, kind of the spirit I have. And I think that goes true for our lives, too. The more that we can live it, in our own backyards, in our own daily activities, leading by example, the more qualified we are to make an impact in the collective sphere as well. We come out here and work together as a community. We always like to talk to people, you know, do you have your own space to garden? Are you treating that as a priority? Because this is great, and this provides a niche that we all need as a community. Great food, great chance to learn together. But the best thing you can do is lead by example. Take these, uh, take these concepts and these precepts, learn from your land, learn from the people in your neighborhood, and let's, let's be more resilient. You'll notice with the EPA, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, and all the stuff with Trump's administration, the, the environment is not a priority for the federal government. Nor should we be waiting for the federal government to solve all our problems. But what it really points to is us organizing as communities to take care of the land. If that truly is a priority to us, we need new systems, new mechanisms. We need to use the, um, the amazing ingenuity of technology and social media and connections that we all have um, to translate into a beautiful planet with our ethics in the right spots. Taking care of this Mother Earth is so so important, at least, at least to me. Um, so that's the mentality behind this garden. You'll notice this section right here, um, to our right, there's a ton of different fruit trees of different varieties. There's also um, a very interesting shrub layer that we put in this year. Uh, this year. Plants are magical things. They have so many benefits to an ecosystem, especially when they start to work together and you plant things intentionally to, to, to bring in certain insects, to fix nitrogen from the atmosphere so the plant itself is creating the fertilizer for the plants around it. Um, there's there's uh, local plants that are like buffalo berry, service berry, uh, berries that are drought tolerant and for our ecosystem that will be producing food for us as well as birds. We do want birds. They bring in uh, poop. They bring in phosphorus in their poop. It's the only natural um, source of one of the major nutrients that plants need. So it's actually to take anything out of the ecosystem and put it in a little box and try and analyze it the way people do, we always miss something. This, this beautiful soil uh, relationship to the plants, relationship to the wildlife, it's all so complex and there's so much uh, there's so much interaction between things. They call it emergent qualities, or whereas the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. You might have three different plants doing three different things, but when they're all together, they do more than just any one thing. Does that make sense? So that's a great example. Just look to the forest. You know, it's great to, to take hikes in your local area and learn you know, what kind of plants normally flourish here and how can we mimic that um, in, our, in our gardening and our methods. So, the permaculture side of it, they love food forests. It's the ultimate way to establish an ecosystem that eventually can 
continues whether we even decide to interject or not. We would want to leave the land so productive that even if we stepped away, food would still be produced, there'd be enough nutrients for the land to continue, water's captured in certain ways, and there's a lot of opportunity for that here that we're still even breaking into. There are so many amazing examples of sustainable permaculture throughout the world. My favorite story, if you don't mind to digress here, is the, the city of El Dorado, or the city of Bolivar. Um, was a myth that came when the conquistadors came through southern America to the Amazon and they reported a really advanced civilization that lived in harmony with the forest. Um, later, when Europeans came through, they found no such trace and they discovered that the soil in the Amazon is really not suited for agriculture, so they came up with the city of gold as a, as a myth. Um, about 60, 70 years ago, they discovered that the Amazon, 10% of it has these huge sections of 10 foot deep dark, black, perfect, rich soil that they had been creating through all their bone, blood, pottery shards, um, all the organic materials, they're composting in place. And they're finding sections of the Amazon that have high percentage of edible foods for humans. So there was intentional food forest gardening going on throughout the Amazon. 10%, that's huge, of just the richest soil you can imagine. And when this society disappeared, it, they disappeared because they were leaving no permanent trace because they were living in harmony with the land. Um, when they started clear-cutting parts of the Amazon and planes were flying over, they discovered earthworks. They discovered essentially 20-acre homesteads throughout the Amazon that when they cleared the forest, they could see that it had been intentionally cultivated. So there is so much precedent in history for living in harmony with nature in a way that's perpetually, um, perpetually abundant. And I really hope that we all realize, you know, whether we want to look up to people, learn from people, we can do that all day long. But really, we're all, we're all sovereign. We're all in this together. And and to, to assume that someone knows more than you, or to, to to stop thinking about how you can help that process. You know, we all just need to be engaged and find that level of, of interconnected leadership that we all really crave. Um, and I don't think it's going to be through through the industrial, military, political complex that's going on today. It's incredibly extractive, it's incredibly unfair, and if you look at the tools we use, if we really cared about informing people and about making collective decisions and staying um, educated and on top of it, we would be using different systems for our politics. And so I'm excited to see what the work in permaculture, how that translates into con connecting communities and, and taking that to your own home, to your own neighborhood, maybe a space like the Krishna temple that might be within, you know, eight to 12 blocks of your neighborhood. Maybe someday the LDS church gets on board and their churches start to have gardens in their, in their, uh, in their uh, church buildings. And that can be a place where community can learn and do things similar to this. I hope that um, this example can be hopeful, that a lot of food can be grown, um, and that a lot of, of good land management practices can happen at the same time. We don't use any um, sprays. We, uh, we don't even use uh, animal products in our fertilizers because the Krishnas really like to use um, uh, they don't like to use animal products, so they're, 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 vegan, they're vegetarian and vegan. So we've given up things like fish emulsion, bone meal, blood meal. We're using um, plant hydrosylate for nitrogen and trying different things that um, are going to keep the land healthy for, for as long as, as we're doing things here. So, plant protein hydrolysis. Plant protein hydrolysis. So just, you know, finding ways to do it that, um, that fit for the temple and also, you know, we're not using Roundup. We're not using... Um, we're not using chemicals because really we don't need to. <laughs> you really don't need to. Um, 
I just kind of open up for discussion. I kind of just have my little rant. I, th I think this is the bee's knees. But yeah. How, how long has this part been here? Um, so this garden's been here for six years, and this year the pond's gotten started, the still's gotten planted, a bunch more rows got put in, and all the shrub layer in this park got put in as well. Um, planted like 60 trees. Yeah, almost. like 60 trees. Yeah, 60 fruit trees, mm -hmm. and another probably 70 shrub plants, and then I'd say from the grapevine, from what I've heard from Randy, we probably and the garden about 100% what he is usually able to maintain by himself. Um, what we've done in the community is expanded that. So it's bumping this year, and I'm, I'm excited to see it next year because coming into something like this and not really understanding like how to interact with people, and they're giving this huge opportunity to us. We didn't really have as much like so the next year next spring it's, it's well, like any farmer it's always site. next season yeah oh man yeah. Next season next season. One. Yeah. same with skiers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's part of the the nature of patience in this yeah. whole process is you know you could try one crop and if you blow it that year you got to wait a whole nother year to try it again and it's it's uh, it's tough when we feel so like urgently needing to make drastic changes in our social structure when the real solution at hand is such a long game. Uh, permaculture talks about making 200-year plans for a piece of property, not just two-year, three-year, five-year, but how do we account for seven generations? What is this going to look like at that time? They talk a lot about appropriate technologies. If you're using machinery and um, complicated equipment that can't be fixed locally, that when once broken would be extremely expensive to replace, it might not be the best solution for your property. But it might be good for transitionary. Transitionary <laughs> ethics are very important. You know, there's permaculture designers that will go in, see how the land is capturing water, and they'll cut contour ditches or swales to capture the water so that even it's passively doing it. So if they're, imagine if water's coming down a hill, if you dig a, a perpendicular swale, it'll fill that whole thing up with water before it spills over and goes to the next part. Using that technique, you can keep your, every drop of water that falls on land can be captured and planted in your landscape. And that's that's key if we're going to have systems that can perpetuate. Um, so yeah, thinking long term, but also realizing like there is so much work to be done. And we know that regenerative systems exist, we know how to use them, there's examples of it all over the world. And the more people that are on board, even if you're going to screw it up for a couple years, because I'm still screwing stuff up and I've been doing this for six years. There's people that have been doing it for 30 years that will tell you they still don't know everything because it's impossible to know everything. So diving in and killing a few plants on your way, try your best not to, but you've got to break a few eggs sometimes. There's going to be yeah. crops that don't work out, waste that happens, confusion, you'll wonder why all the grasshoppers popped up on your kale this year, and it's just part of the process. The fact of diving in and leading by example, engaging your neighbors, perhaps do a front yard garden instead of a backyard garden so you can connect with the people in your neighborhood. I love seeing that kind of stuff happen and you'll get to know people in your neighborhood so much faster when you're doing uh, more public uh, works like this. And there's great support groups throughout um, any major city, you know, but here we've got the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild that meets every Monday night. It's a great network of individuals that can give you advice on your projects that you can also pitch in on and be a part of the workshops that we sponsor and learn more that way. 
There's also great groups like the Wasatch Community Gardens, the Green Urban Lunchbox. Um, I, I, there's a lot of excellent groups. Real Food Rising. There's lots of opportunities. If you're ready to dive into the world of, of earth stewardship, you know, let's, let's do it. Um, even if you're not trying to grow a lot of food, it doesn't mean that you don't want to learn about earth stewardship. I think it's great to pay attention to your property. One of the key ethics and one of the key principles in permaculture is observations. They'll sometimes say, take an entire year of doing very, almost nothing, an entire year to scope out your property and see what it looks like in the different seasons. See where water builds up, see what kind of weeds naturally happen, and what kind of plants do well and which ones don't. Take little logs if you want. They also talk about sit spots. Have a spot where a couple times a week you go out and just sit for 15 minutes in the same spot and see what you can see. Let the earth quiet a little bit. Open those ears. See, see if there's something you can learn from it. And then connect and talk. Connect to your neighbors. Find people that are um, in that same boat. I love the internet. I love the, the, the solutions and the, the Googling and all the stuff that helps us out. But old timers in your neighborhood, people in your community, um, really it's important to tap into what the human resource that we have here in the community is. Curious, permaculture has a social aspect to it as well. And you mentioned a little bit like the earth care first is a priority. Um, curious, like, and this could be for anybody too, uh, what are ways that people have found um, to integrate permaculture principles into, you know, politics and the more, like, systemic social things that are already in place right now? I think the central premise to that, and you'll find, if you look up social permaculture, you can find great podcasts, great resources all throughout. They definitely talk a lot about human settlement, ways to organize, ways to have political uh, representation within communities. But I think the central premise is, if you have food, water, shelter, and energy within your community, you're not gonna need a lot of the crap that we're dependent on and worried about and is destroying so much of our ecosystem and so much of our planet. So, in, in short, becoming you know, uh, Bill Mollison, who, who came up with permaculture, coined the term. He said that the, the prime objective, the prime directive, is to, to take responsibility for your existence and that of your uh, prosperity. And I think that kind of starts to lead itself to some of those uh, alternative ways of organizing. Um, I think a lot about that stuff, and I think a lot of people that get into permaculture, it tries to connect the dots between all the elements on your land and all the elements in your life to say, how can we maximize, um, if we're going to do one thing, is there a chance that it could do three things at once? If we're going to take the time to build a project or an element, how can we maximize its connections to the rest of the, of the land? And I think that holds true for our social systems as well. If we're, how can we stack functions is the way permaculture is talking about. You know, here, it's not necessarily written in stone what we're doing, but we have, you know, every Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday, there are community groups meeting at this temple. So we're connected to each other. We help each other on our projects. We're aware of what's going on in the community. When people are struggling, there's opportunities to get help and to get support through that. And I think the more we're resilient as a community and have access to food and shelter or tools and skills and homesteading skills, the less we're going to need to be dependent on systems that are intentionally shouldering us out of the way anyway and using a system of money that's based on infinite growth on a finite planet. 
It's essentially, we don't know where the dead end is on this path, but we do know this path ends. The path that doesn't end is the one that is in symbiotic with, with nature's patterns. And we have to start studying that and applying it. Uh, and that's hopefully how it will get a little bit out of that, out of the systems that we're stuck in. I don't know if that helps answer any of those questions. There's not a clear-cut political system or social system for permaculture, but there's a lot of permaculture thinkers that have ideas on this. Um, uh, yeah, the earth, it's basically earth imbalance. I mean, the creep of Welland and, and, and Anastasis were, were very astute at collecting water in the southwest. Pre, you know, they didn't have a permaculture guidebook. You know, to answer your question, I just read today that Britain came out and wants to have petroleum-free car society by 2040, and the London mayor complained that that's not fast enough. Yeah. So those, that's where we're at. I think whether you use the word permaculture, just just the earth mindset right now, and, 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 and you know, we've gotta move quick. I've been here seeing the earth first earth day, you know, seeing movements come and go, and it's time that like, you guys just rise up. We need to go to rebellion for the earth right now. <laughs> it's peaceful, but we need one right now. That's, where everyone can get interconnected. You guys can, we could have a solar car on the planet for everyone in 10 years if we wanted. They've driven them on the moon. $29 million to put it on the moon in 60, in 71. We've had two cars there. In today's society, that's under $200 million. Not much. It's hard to put a name to it. I mean, really, I mean, if you $200 million and we could have, if they spent the same investment, we could have cars driving around. Challenge everyone. I'm guilty. We got too many bombs to build. Well, no, we don't have to build any more bombs. Just change that conversation. Just, just say we don't want to build any more bombs, you know, and, and, and it can happen. I mean, you know, they killed the Kennedys for a reason, you know. That included Bobby Jr. Okay, I'm out of here. Absolutely. You weren't recording that, were you? No, you're right on, Okay. I'm getting back. I'm getting back to work. Cool. You know that, man. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. Think, uh, Love you all. Right. I mean, the, carry on. Right land, uh, land stewardship revolution's underway. There's a million names for it. It's conscious resistance. It's permaculture. It's uh, you know, it's the SLC air protectors. It's the Standing Rock water protectors. It's it's this idea that that really listening to Mother Earth. If you get too into this, there'll be a time when she taps you on the back and just like you work for me now. Sorry, um, you're in this stream. It's going to be a lot harder to get out of it than it is to just do your work. Um, so I hope that that bug bites you real hard. I think part of that, whatever you might call spirit or energy or, or this collective feeling that connects us all, I think following the precepts of permaculture and earth stewardship and getting connected to nature really makes that voice and that energy ring very clear and very purely. And it, it brings people together and provides abundance in ways in your life that you might not even be expecting. Um, so let's just do that. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that we were thinking about doing was uh, building some compost. I'm sure you guys how to take weeds and uh, incorporate them back into the plant. So I want to teach you guys about nitrogen to carbon ratios, uh, how to keep the tile aerated and hot so that it processes all that weed seed and kills all the seed away, and then you can keep all the nutrients that those weeds mine all that nutrient up for you and then you can reincorporate it into the plants. 
example of trying to close the loops and have a closed loop system. We're pulling all this nutrient out. We were just having it buried in the landfill. We'd be super silly. Yeah. We had a chance to turn it into beautiful compost and there's certain things to know about it. And we've been weeding all morning. We've got the food pile over there and we'd love to have everybody's help for kind of a final project for the day to get this all set up so it'll start cooking and turning into soil for us. Yeah, this is one of the main precepts, uh, one of the most important things you can do in your day-to-day -day life. You know, we all produce food waste. We all have, if we do have a garden or access to one, um, or even local restaurants, a lot of the stuff that I've made from here is juice rinds from Deep Juice, organic juicery. So a lot of the stuff that I actually produced here, I took from a linear system and incorporated it into a closed loop system and now we can grow plants off of this place. My neighbor in Cottonwood Heights runs a produce uh, store, so he brings me all his waste produce and we feed it to our chickens, we feed it to our worm pit, we've got a big tumbler, um, compost is, is a big part. And it's also probably the most realistic way to deal with pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere. Um, it's sequestering carbon into the soil. So you guys want to show us something right now? And is that what you were saying? Sorry. Um, I think at this point we can kill the camera. Just yeah. To work on cool. building the files. Right. Yeah. So, got you guys over here. Let's get started. But, in all honesty, it might be a little bit more difficult, you know, but it is possible. So, um, it's all about uh, balance carbon to nitrogen ratio. So um, with wood chips you got a 300 to 1 ratio. So I've got a little trench dug out, dug out here. We're going to try and incorporate all this nitrogen into this section right here. Um, and that's that's going to be a little bit higher on the carbon scale. We're going to get a lot of fungal activity which is going to help process it and continue that process after the thermophilic factory all the little marathon runners that I was talking about a minute ago, they're gonna come in and process a lot of this nitrogen and then the fungal activity hey Michael, will start up. Next year? So how we can get started is we can basically just take handfuls of this stuff and then throw it into this trench right here and then you um, can mix it in and water it simultaneously. So there's you know three or four things that are these air moisture, carbon, and nitrogen. Those four things are going to get that plant you know. and start that process running. And this goes for, you know, pretty much any compost pile. Home compost piles are notoriously difficult because you're constantly adding in nitrogen and restarting that whole thermophilic process, that heat up process. So every time you add in more nitrogen, you're restarting that heat up phase, essentially. And one thing, yeah. No matter what you learn or don't learn or get overwhelmed with or don't get overwhelmed with, composting at all, yeah. even shitty, is a great thing. Yeah. So don't get scared to start. Right. And if you like, if you're like, my pile's not doing anything, then you can start right. from somewhere and learn some of this stuff about the balancing of the carbons and nitrogens right. and turnings and water. David will fill you with so much knowledge that you might feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Just make and sure you, you don't actually. get scared to start. So I'm trying to cram an entire, you know three years of doing this kind of thing in your head in 20 minutes so that you know, hey, what the heck was he talking about? Thermophilic bacteria, what the heck is that? You know, or, or nitrifying bacteria, what the I'll heck is that? Go back and watch the video. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. 
So um, we want to actually chop this up. So we're going to get uh, these guys right here. We'll get two guys on this, and then we'll get two guys on um, two guys on mixing the stuff that we've already chopped up. All right, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll uh, give you an update in a minute when we're hard at work. It's like gold. Like it's worth five dollars. All right, so we're just. Helping finish off some composting here. Quite a bit of work that goes into it. You can see they're chopping up the smaller pieces over here. Yeah, it's like gold. Adding it to the pile, adding dirt and water and mixing it. You can't just add layers and leave it and not mix it because it'll bind together and make like layers of like thatch material that can't be mixed. So they mix it and like obviously with this many people, it's much easier to to do something this big, but quite the workout. Uh, if, you, if you're into this kind of stuff, you're gonna stay fit. And it requires fitness and health, so it's even more important to, to stay healthy so you can be out to tolerate hot heat and dehydration and uh, being out sweating in the sun. If you're not healthy or up, up to a good physical health level, then this kind of stuff is not even possible for you to do, so. Uh, health, one of the bigger things in, in uh, the, the freedom movement that needs to be addressed and if, if you're reliant on other people to live and can't even grow your own food, um, that's going to be a problem, right? You're going to have some people come in and fulfill that request for you, but what if it's uh, GMO? What if it's pesticide? What if it's something that you don't want to be eating if you're not able to participate in the in the food that you're growing you don't know what it is and so it's kind of all cycles together really so this might really help uh... that'll probably be it for the permaculture day shots uh, try to get this video edited and posted ASAP quite a few things in the pipeline <laughs>